gentlemen, welcome to Fintech Insider Live. Coming to you live this week from Money 2020 in beautiful Copenhagen. It's great to be here doing something we love with you guys, like an audience that's actually in the room. Let's hear it. Hey, audience. Look, I, I can touch them. They're, yeah, they're, I, I wouldn't touch all of the audience if I were you. It's, it's going to get us in trouble pretty damn quickly. So... What are we doing here, gents? Well, today we have ourselves. Look, we're doing a podcast, a live show. We've got yourself, Jason Bates. We've got David Breer, Chris Skinner, and little old me, Simon Taylor. And we brought the team back together for today's show. And we've got some of our favorite guests from the past 111 shows that we've done. Um, and we're going to be moving right through that as quickly as we can. But we're hoping that, David, you can pronounce their names this time. Uh, I think we've specifically picked guests this week just so I can actually uh, pronounce most of their names, which is pretty good going, I have to say. Don't ask me to spell them, though, because I'm going to get into trouble pretty quickly. So today we want this to be a little bit different, though. Um, because we've actually got an audience, we want you guys to properly get involved. So we will be throwing this around. We will be throwing T-shirts around as well if you're particularly involved in what we're doing, which is great. But if we do miss something, uh, some sort of story potentially, we will. Uh, and if potentially we get to the point where there's a better story that we should be bringing up as well. Which there will be. Uh, then feel free <laughs> to make sure that you jump out on us. Um, if you really want to get involved and maybe to the point just actually stopping Simon going on one of the diatribes that he usually there's does. There's nothing wrong with diatribes. It's like that time we went to and Berlin. And moving on before <laughs> we get too far into that one because you know it's going to happen for anybody who's listened before. Um, as a bit of incentive today for anybody who's getting involved, you'll be some lovely, lovely, lovely FinTech Insider swag. So the guys backstage are preparing the t-shirt cannon as we do, I believe. Is that all queued up, Ollie? Good? Okay, awesome. So those guys in the front row, you might die, I'm just saying. So uh, be careful where you're... If you're in the splash zone, it may be fatal. So I think we're about ready to go, uh, right? Hold on, hold on. Because I know I'm not here every week, but when I am here, normally there's something else that's missing well, that we, should be we here. We have guests coming, we have news, but there's beer! Hey! <laughs> right, okay. Very good, very good. I know, I know it's only 11 a.m., but let's do this. It's, it's good of Chris to think about booze for once. <laughs> well, 11 a.m. Um, so we're upping the stakes. Uh, not only will you get a T-shirt and swag, but there'll be beautiful, beautiful local beer as well. I've never tried Royal Pilsner, but let's give this a go, shall we? Thanks, Anthony. Okay, <laughs> okay so with that said, let's get on with the news. Actually, on the podcast, this is where we cut in a little thing that goes do 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 do. We don't have that now, so we might, might actually have to just do that. My so with me, ready? Do 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 do. That's oh, yeah. a. Uh, yeah. uh, Too early in the morning. It is. So our first two guests, fan favourites, and our favourites, we've got Ali Patterson from fintech finance and all-round banking tech superheroine, uh, Lida Glyptis. Come to the stage. Feel free to get a drink, Ali. You have several. It's usually a lot stronger than this, though, isn't it? It is. Yeah, it is. So how are you guys doing? Yeah, good. Where's my beer? Where's your beer? There you go. <laughs> get involved. I've got a present for you guys, actually. My, uh, my brother, who is a sound person, worked on things like Star Wars. Wow. <laughs> he's, uh, he's knocked up for you this morning a little jingle. I'm going to try and play it from my phone directly into this, which might... Ali pay buys a thing. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> we can use that any time we bring an Alipay story in. Yeah. Which we may have one today. Yeah, he's going to be very happy with that, isn't he? So, let's get on with the news. First story, Business Insider. Goldman Sachs' new online lending business has already hit 
a billion dollar milestone. It's pretty damn impressive, this one. Like, the fact they've hit a billion already. I have to say, the most impressive thing that I saw about this entire thing was, if anybody's actually seen Marcus Goldman, it looks exactly like Dave Birch. Has <laughs> <laughs> anybody seen it? It's, it's like spitting image of him. It's really quite bizarre. Google that guy. Too. Indeed. But, um, yeah, congratulations to the Goldman Sachs guys. It's, it's pretty impressive as a big organization what you can do to, to set something up and get it moving. And actually, Bo Hartman's been instrumental in this one. So um, shout out to Bo Hartman. Big, big news. I think it's great, but I also think it's very last year. You know, everyone was doing a billion. B. You know, banks were spending a billion on digital transformation. Goldman Sachs has done a billion. Like, we're in a different world now. We're in the T world, people. Trillion. Oh, wow. It's like, you know, Alipay, WeChat, three trillion in payments in 2016. So the, the year of the B, that's gone. That's, that's, that's last year's headline. Yeah, like, give them, give them a break. They're warming up, okay? <laughs> like, they're warming up slowly. There, there were some funny bits in this one, I have to say. So you, you had um, the... Um, so this was... Uh, who was the guy from here? The quotes were, you know our chief architect has a nose ring. Ooh. <laughs> it's like, risque. <laughs> uh, people wear jeans at our office. No. no and jeans <laughs> at our office. Crazy. Any comments on that one, Chris? The guy in the suit here, would you be offended if you went to a bank office and they I'm had jeans? I'm looking like a fintech guy. You are. Actually, yeah, you're blending in. I'm, I'm a fintech guy in banker's clothing. <laughs> oh. uh, and he was like, we write on everything. We write on walls. We write on tables. We write on our windows. Again, Radical. that's very new. Oh, come on, Jason. Said that's so five years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone was writing on walls. But it's new money. I, and I think from a banking perspective, the thing that's exciting about this is that this is a segment that was new to them. It's a segment they hadn't been interested in before, yeah. and they went for new money. Unlike their competitors, unlike so many of the rest of us who are trying to either figure out where to plug the holes of lost revenue or squeezed margins, or try to do the thing you do differently. Trust Goldman's to go... There's a pocket of cash I haven't gotten to. Yeah. There's a whole segment of society that wouldn't come anywhere near me and I wouldn't, wouldn't go anywhere near them. I'm not disrupting any of my business. Welcome to Daddy. Yeah. I, I like it because it's Greenfield. JP Morgan bought Chase and became JP Morgan Chase and bought a load of legacy when they did it. They bought a load of revenue when they did it. So this, it, it could have worked. But at the same time, this is we're going to build Greenfield, we're going to build technology, and we're going to compete with that. I like that idea. And we've spoken to Bo, I know I mock them for the writing on walls and wearing jeans thing, but um, I'm not sure it's mandatory that you have some sort of uh, facial ring of some description to like kind of look the part. But, you know, he did say that literally the culture was the most important thing of what they were setting up. So they, they really kind of went out of their way to establish something very, very different. So, yeah. Do you call their customers Muppets? Uh, no, not okay. so much. So thoughts on the audience? SME lending for investment banks. Good idea? Bad idea? Who wants to say? Come on. If, if you don't pick me, I'll pick you. <laughs> Jason's suddenly sounding very geography teacher, isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> Talk to the wall. That sounds odd. <laughs> Ed says, what's the question again? Thanks a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, good idea. Good idea. Good idea. Anyone well, else? I think on the basis they made a billion, then it's probably a good idea, right? Oh, come on. We've got to warm this audience up. Money out of lending. The audience needs the beers, not us. Okay, next story. Chris. Square gets green light to take on banks with pin on glass. What do you think? Yeah, I was just listening to Jack Dorsey on the main plenary stage, and uh, you know, his focus is on the simplicity of payments and engaging small businesses in particular with ma- making more sales, which obviously makes sense, and giving them easier access to credit. And then in the background, um, has been working very closely with the Payment Card Industry Security Standards Council on getting the dongle and uh, apps approved as a, a replacement method for point of sale. 
So what it really means is that um, if every merchant, including the big stores, moves to using simple apps to make and take payments, then what do we do with Ingenico and all the other payment terminals out there? Do they all disappear? Because we don't need them. We can just use mobile phones. Yeah. And that's what this is all about, saying once this is approved, um, it's approved as a security standard, mm. then everybody can just use dongles to take payments. It's a heck of a precedent, right? It, it, it does say for all of those companies, where do they go? Who knows? I guess it's interesting to look back a few years and um, all of the iZettle and PayPal that were giving out their little dongles with a keypad attached to it that connected to the smartphone yep. now can be something very different. I mean, we heard from Jack Dorsey on stage today about making the sale easy. What happens to all of those merchant acquiring businesses when actually you've got in your pocket the, uh, the device, the little thing to add on to it? You know, I no longer need to rent the, the hardware from HSBC or Barclays or whoever. I think, I think it was interesting. What do you guys think of, the, of Jack's uh, keynote this morning? Did, was there any insights that came out of that that you thought were... Like, I was a bit disappointed he didn't talk about Twitter, I'll be honest. But uh, was there... What, what did you guys think? And actually, anybody in the room, did anybody take something magical out of uh, Jack's, uh, Jack's intro this morning? I saw him speak in Vegas last year at Money 2020, and to be honest, I was quite disappointed because I found him a little bit dull. Um, but it may be that he's incredibly nervous, so I'm told. So today I thought he was much more engaging, actually. He talked really eloquently. Like a lot of the fintech startups that are now becoming mature, making it quite clear that the industry is being reinvented by technology and that they can take on this space. I thought he gave almost a mythical origin story. You know, it was this, uh, this story about a flower seller down beneath his studio apartment. And it was so evocative, but almost seemed so uh, polished. That this, that all of a sudden there was this myth, and it was about how going many, down. How many and times have you heard Jason tell the Monzo and Star? <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, just, I'm not saying it's a bad thing, yeah. but he really brought it out, didn't he? It was like I went down and helped this uh, flower seller. Some guy came and said, "Can I buy flowers with my credit card?" And she no, said, "Go to the ATM." No, and he disappeared. And, and she turned around to me and said. Yes, yeah. I'm in, Jack, I'm in. A, a single tear down her eye. <laughs> she did. That was it. That that grabbed me. That got me. Yeah. Do you think this might? be a push towards a lot less cash in circulation now that anyone can plug a dongle in and accept card? So are we going to see beggars on the street with their own little dongle plugged into their mobile phone? Well, we, we've already started to see you know, yeah. people using uh, tap payments to... Yeah, to for take, charities yeah, and things. Well, for charities, but also uh, for begging as well. You know? So actually around, around London, you see them really frequently now, which is, uh, you know, it, it, I've done it. You know, there's, I very rarely carry cash, but actually I've always got a, a bank card on me that I can tap. So, um, and it's also a global thing in that we were at a conference in Africa and every five meters there was an ATM, but it was called a person sitting with a mobile phone. Mm. You know, it was just quite incredible. It was. I thought the best thing from uh, Jack's thing this morning for me was this, uh, this throwback to the fact that cards are pretty good. You know, cards don't run out of power. They don't run out of juice. They work everywhere. You could even put them into one of those, um, what are those machines called? Clacker machines. The clacker. The clacker. Yeah, clack, clack, clacker. Uh, and it would still work. And I love the fact that, that, you know, there's a tech guy sitting on stage saying, look, this, this thing's a pretty well-defined device. But what do we think about the other news this week that um, Venmo are releasing a payment card? So you can have a debit card connected to your Venmo wallet so that you're sending money peer-to-peer -peer, but then you spend it with a card like I, i'm not sure i follow that one i'm not sure how, how do you feel about that Liv? as a user it's like i don't care just make it easier i don't care if it's a dongle if it's on my phone if it's on a ching -ching machine as long as it's quick it's easy 
and I get the um, real-time digital update that I have come to expect. Couldn't care less as a user. As a banker, it's about how they slice the pie, right? If you, if you look at one um, side of the story, you're, you're looking at not having to have warehouses where you keep the constant rotation of POS machines that keep breaking and you keep needing updates. So there's someone missing out and, and, and bye-bye to some of them and someone winning out. This one is just another way of slicing the pie. I can't get excited about it. I also don't get stressed about it because I don't work in, in card acquiring. I would if I did. Um, it just seems like it's not really solving a problem for anyone other than the... It's all about choice. People, people who are... It's choice. But, but Ven, Is it a Venmo... Do you care? Venmo America, you know, this, this, becomes a, this becomes a solution for an American market potentially. Yeah. You know, we've yeah. talked about Apple Pay a bunch of times. Might not be the solution, definitely not for you, but uh, <laughs> it might not be the solution for the to sort of European market. But in the US, it has the potential to be, you know, properly disruptive, doesn't it? That's true. Can I take that opportunity to plug uh, what we've just done for the last few days? Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. Cool, because, right, we had uh, eight people starting out in Trafalgar Square on Friday, and they've had to get here across Europe using only one form of payment, okay. no pre-planning. Wow. We had a guy using swipe and sign, or kuchu <laughs> I was using a uh, contactless ring, uh, someone using Bitcoin, someone using chip and pin, someone using mobile payments, Apple Pay only. Uh, someone using only coins and someone using gold, physical gold. Wow. <laughs> in a race. Um, How many made it? All of them made it but one. Any, any guesses of who didn't make it? The Bitcoin, the Bitcoin guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're going to get complaints. On that <laughs> it's a really good currency. Uh, like, like Bitcoin maximalists are going to hate you now. <laughs> so, well, so who won? Well, he's actually right here, if you want to throw him the ball. The guy that made it is uh, Ash Cooper. Ash. Ash, what payment did you use? I'm the gold guy. <laughs> so so how, how did you actually Seats? sort of... What, what did you do? How did you barter? It, it sounds very pirates. Like, were you bartering <laughs> gold to get here? Pieces of eight. Yeah. yeah, it was a lot of the goodwill of people uh, helping me out, doing things for free for me. It's a very long story, and I think it probably needs a longer conversation. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, it, it also involved two basements and, and <laughs> two, like pe two, pe two people's... Ran uh, two people's Random rooms. So uh, okay. Do you actually yeah. have gold on you now? Wow, that's a security no. risk. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> yes, I do. Wow. <laughs> and what form? Uh, it's a coin. So okay. uh, it's, it, it, it equates to about ninety pounds worth. So. So no buying a can of coke then? You, you're saying? Yeah. <laughs> so, so for everybody in the audience, mug ash after this. Is my <laughs> advice for you guys. So. <laughs> I've got security, by the way. So, uh, get oh, me he's out got Ali, right? <laughs> yeah, I've got Ali. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Well, so there you go. The future of payments. It's not digital gold. It's actually physical gold. Nice. That's actually relying on the kindness of strangers and not paying at all. <laughs> <laughs> That's usually how I do most things. I'll be honest. <laughs> like Bitcoin or gold aside, but yeah, really cool. And you guys have got a booth around the corner, right? Booth around the corner, E35, and we're speaking right here um, at 4.30 today. Fantastic. Oh, and you could bet on, on Paddy Power. <laughs> um, Ash's odds were 25 to 1, so a lot of people have made wow. a lot of money off him because he... Uh... You, you tell me that now. Like, where were you, like, three days ago? <laughs> I mean, like, cleared up, right? Awesome. It's paid for our booth. <laughs>
Thank you very much, everyone, for joining us. Uh, this is uh, Leda Glyptus. Where can people find out more about you, Leda? Come and find me at the Speakers Lounge or uh, Twitter at Leda Glyptus or LinkedIn. Fantastic. And Ali? Uh, we're at booth uh, E35, and I'm at Ali Patterson on Twitter. Fantastic. Thank you very much. Round of applause. And, applause. and joining us at this point, we have the one and only Megan Johnson from 11FS. Megan, Woo! will you come join us? And, of course, the living legend that is, is Jamie Campbell from Bud. Come to the stage, sir. <laughs> What's up, Bud? Thank you very much. I love the fact you took a big swig of beer before reaching the stage. Uh, thank you for that. <laughs> you know how we do. David, you got the first story. I do, and this is the reoccurring story of Will I Am. If for anybody who's listened to the show regularly, then you'll know this one crops up quite often as well, which is which is fun. So Will I Am reveals why he became an advisor to the UK fintech startup Atom Bank. I feel I could probably get how long have we got? Another forty I feel I could probably do forty minutes on this one if anybody like I have like a whole stand up routine. It's hilarious. Um, but maybe if we start with you guys, what do you what do you think to this one? Um, it's a it's an odd one. I think everyone from when this was announced, everyone was a little bit kind of confused, and um, you know there were a lot of jokes flying around, uh, especially when you kind of consider the way in which Atom is set up in terms of the products that it's that it's offering. You know, it's not really cool, hip, young, um, you know, financial services. It's like savings accounts and like mortgages. You know, which is your kind of. Don't, don't kids find savings accounts fun and cool and hip? Or? Hey, when I got cash to save, then come on, I'll get back to you on that one. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think it's, it's an odd one. Um, and then this kind of reason coming out, what was it, February that it was announced? And then, you know, coming out now, it feels like a really, really slow PR agency. Like, um, gen genuinely, I thought it was a joke for at least three months, you know, but uh, it transpires this one's true. And actually, Anthony Thompson, the uh, founder and chairman of Atom Bank, came out with a, a really, really interesting line in this article. So he said um, he was sitting in his garden one day wondering about uh, who they should use for this types of things, having a glass of wine glass slash many bottles potentially at this point. Uh, and I was thinking, if Atom was a person, who would it be? So naturally, he moved to uh, Will I Am for this one, which I think actually poses quite an interesting question. Um, is there anybody in here from a bank? Nobody's brave oh, enough to. No, no, no. Oh, she nearly put her hand up right there. That, that was, uh, that was the guy in the back. The guy back. The guy back here. That guy. Right there you go. Oh, who, who epitomizes your bank in a uh, in a pop star? Now you've got the thing you have to answer. So if, if Anthony Thompson went for Will I Am, which pop star would you choose to epitomize your bank? You have to tell us who your bank is as well. It's uh, A.B. Nemro in the Netherlands. Oh, okay. And I think Bono. 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 <laughs> that is a good choice, I have to say. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, nobody straight can't straight not like Bono. Like, uh, anybody else want to have a crack? Or anybody else want to have a go at a bank and say which one they should be? <laughs> or, That's or, probably going to be way more funny. There's also another way we can do this. Scrap Will I Am. Who do you think best represents Atom Bank uh, if it's not Lady <laughs> <Maybe> Gaga? Lady <laughs> Gaga? I think... <laughs> Poker face. Miley Cyrus. Well, actually, no, Miley Cyrus has already committed her time to 11FS, hasn't she? She, ha she has, yeah. She did come in like a cannibal. The, bank. <laughs> the, twer <laughs> the twerk is back. <laughs> genuinely, I, I do think this one's quite interesting. I, do, I, I keep coming back to it. I can see why they've done this. You know, if you want to be connecting with a kind of a youth market, you want to be connecting with people who, especially in the UK space, that it kind of cuts through so many different areas. Like, my mum knows who Will I Am is. 
yeah, but like, no idea who Acton Connecting with a youth market not, and, knowing, not and your mum knowing who Will I Am <laughs> is, like, in one exactly. sentence, you've just kind say, of like... But, but it's value for money, right? You get a good cross-section across the whole piece. Right? My mum likes him, and you're a big Black Eyes Peas fan as well, aren't you? So, <laughs> Absolutely. But, but, I mean, we, we interviewed yeah, Gary Vaynerchuk a few weeks ago, and he, he's very strong on the idea that uh, YouTube, Instagram, Snapchat influencers are vastly underpriced. So, arguably, they could have found the top... 1,500 yeah. uh, Instagram YouTubers in the UK, given them like options like this or, or you know a bit of money, and they would have they would have nailed it. Yeah, yeah. Like, nobody's that, doing that, that is, well. That's proper. I, I think when you look at the success of these kind of celebrity, um, you know, figureheads at the top of companies, I think you know, um, was it Lady Gaga was um, creative director of a of a company. Will I am obviously has held some positions. You know, yeah. when you look at the success of what they've actually brought to the the company, I you know, I can't really see any tangible benefits. Um, Jamie, no boom boom pow. No boom boom pow. I don't think on 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 this one. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Where is it? So, Chris, there's a story from VentureBeat about Stripe. Uh, that's the next one up. Um, Stripe are refocusing on a European effort with six new markets. Do you know what this one's about? Yeah, along with Square Ant and a few other unicorns, Stripe's one of my favorites. valued at $9.2 billion at the end of last year, which is not bad for a seven-year-old company, making 26 and 28-year-old Collins and Brothers the youngest billionaires around. Um, wow. That's an expensive unicorn. Oh, they're very attractive, though. Seven, um, seven years, that is pretty impressive, isn't it? I'd, I'd it be is. happy with half of that in seven years, when you know, just, just saying, is. guys. So. It also makes you realise that you know, they started when, like, like 21, 19 and 21. You know, um, but they've now expanded into Europe extensively. In fact, they announced a couple of years ago that they were going to take on Klarna, and Klarna's not the equivalent, but a similar business in Europe. Um, and they've expanded into UK, Ireland, Denmark, France, Spain, Norway, Finland, and Sweden, and they've now just added Germany, Switzerland, Netherlands, Austria, Belgium, and Luxembourg. So they're truly expanding. I'm sure most of you know that they're mainly for merchant checkout as an API, um, but they've also added extra functionality into that. So they do one-to-many and one-to-one payments through mm. an API. They've also added now many-to-many mm. through the API. So if you're maybe collecting gym memberships, sharing amongst multiple gyms, then they can do that complex transaction structures. So really innovative. But I think it goes with another story that was out this week, which uh, is Klarna. And Klarna's just got their banking license to become a bank in Europe, one of the youngest and uh, freshest banks in Europe. They started uh, well before um, Stripe started. But I loved the quotes in the FT that came from uh, Mr. Siemakowski, who's their founder and CEO. Um, which is a vision of a group of global players who offer specialised services. And I've been saying for quite some time now that the future of the banking marketplace is not banks doing banking, it's actually a marketplace of specialist guys who do one thing really well, mm. assemble together, which actually is the same vision that Khan has got, because they, that then goes on to say um, there will be a possibility of several global large fintech specialists teaming together to provide a full-service offering. Well, this is the thing. It's, it, this is the classic slide with the picture of the homepage of HSBC or Citibank with all of the startups that attack yeah. all of the bits. And then the bank executive goes, yeah, but it's not really making a difference. And then you go, yeah, but they're a $9 billion valued company. How's your market cap doing in the last 10 years? But there's also something there about it no longer being about what happens in the bank branch, on the phone, in the bank app on the bank website because we've been doing some stuff with um, with some banks on API commercialization and that's what what interests me the fact that any bank could have been a stripe a long time ago yeah. they had an acquiring business they were set they could have 
just killed the market. Um, and, and that move from whether it's Klarna, whether it's point of sale, whether it's whether it's integrating into a mortgage application, into a house buying thing, it's outside of the walls. And we heard uh, Ashok Vashwani, I can't even pronounce the guy's name, Thank this you. morning. You made, you made me feel better. Thanks, Thanks. for that. I appreciate yeah. it. Uh, Barclays CEO, again, this morning, talking about that, we have to play with others. We have to be truly connected finance. We have to be out there in the and marketplace. I think this is a core point, that when you've got a thousand companies doing one thing well, Banks have to realise that they can't do a th- you know, they, they do a thousand things averagely, and therefore they're going to get smashed if they, if they continue doing it that way. But I, th- I think this whole kind of you know moving to open banking, moving to exposing APIs, n- none of the banking organisations would do that willingly. You know, there's big regulation coming along pushing people to make those things happen because you know they had the opportunity to stripe, and now people are coming along and doing that better. I think if, willing, if, willing if yeah, I think, yeah, I think willing or willing or unwilling, the the um, the attitude is is definitely changing. Um, you know. At Bud, we have conversations with banks pretty often about the, um, you know, how they can effectively collaborate with fintechs, um, and you know, we're kind of working to, to to bring marketplace banking to, you know, to some of the larger incumbents in the in the UK. Um, and I think that that attitude switch, you know, probably it has come from regulation, but um, you know, some of the kind of decision makers high up in the yeah. in the bank you know have really taken it and, and ran with it and they've gone well you know if we're all going to have to do it bloody hell we're going to be the best at it and yeah. i think that's the you know that kind of shift recently has been has been really notable from, from, from uh, jimmy i'm not worried about the decision makers i'm worried about everyone in the organization having used stripe or having used braintree and 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 that's that's the thing and and how you know like what do you see megan when you look at um these sorts of platforms do you see this as a as a major threat do you see people getting the user experience right like what's yeah i mean i think that if you look at the likes of the challenger banks that are taking that marketplace approach and truly partnering with fintechs it's just a way that they can quickly scale their products and services. So if you look at N26 with all their partnerships, I mean, just their customers can quickly now make international payments, apply for loads of different products. So I think that at the end of the day, it's definitely, um, the customer is definitely winning. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. I think it's it's getting to scale. You know, like PayPal did this by exposing an API for payments and got everywhere. You know, Stripe did it and was the, the best API. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see where, where this one really goes. But kind of all the way through the stack, like we're seeing, you know, Klarna, we're seeing uh, Stripe, uh, I bumped into Nick Ogden last night of uh, ClearBank. Yeah. You know, ClearBank is going to be huge in terms of the, the potential that those guys have got. They're already claiming double-digit market share. Exactly. Not bad for a company launched in February. Uh, it and, lo- uh, launched in February and done no marketing. No marketing. And what I think is interesting is, I mean, Jason and I hosted uh, um, meetings in Norway and Sweden recently where we had Bud, uh, Solaris, Leverus, ClearBank, Saxo Bank. And what you realize as you listen to them is that each of them is offering a stack of APIs and, and analytics capabilities in a specific space like the retail consumer experience or in the investing experience or in the clearing experience. You stack those together and anybody could launch a whole service bank tomorrow just by integrating all these pieces. Yeah, and, I, mm. and I think those conversations where you, you, know, where you sit down with a, with a Solaris and, you know, or a Leverus or, or, or whoever you know, and you're a platform and you all attack a different kind of level in that stack, mm. when you kind of look at the capabilities of, hang on guys, if we just, you know, look at, look at this, look around this, this table of, you know, of whatever platform it is, um, you know, the potential for 
you could call it disruption, you could call it enabling, um, you know, a, a real kind of technological change in the financial industry is it's really compelling, like very, very compelling. I, I think it's really interesting because ironically, initially most fintech was sort of playing with the front end, you know, it was actually just that surface level touch of, of, of capability. But now when we can actually spin up a, you know, a full stack, whether it be from a core banking or a payment setup, all the way through a marketplace, you, you can actually focus properly on creating truly sort of distinct and, and compelling propositions, which I, I think mm. is the great thing. You know, ironically, it was surface level playing with UX before, and now we can really sort of focus on the, the customer. And that, that's what uh, grabbed me about the Stripe announcement, because that, that many-to-many example combi- combined with things like holding funds for payouts at different times, yeah. such as when a crowdfunding platform like Kickstarter allows a creator to receive funds at various stages of a project. That's almost like smart contract territory, you know, built onto payments, you know, for a consumer play, that's algorithmic business that strips out the job that five people in an accounts team would have to do. It also shows something, which is, you know, banks talk about how complicated and regulated and compliance and, you know, difficult things are. These guys, you know, they're in their 20s and they've solved this with technology and they're dealing with really complex stuff. And I think there's a bit of, it ain't what you do, it's the way that you do it stuff going on here, because everybody has an API, everybody has an app, but having a good one really sets you apart. And having great APIs that developers love is something that isn't necessarily at the top of people's agenda. For some, the top of their agenda is, okay, compliance has said I have to do this, so I'm going to get this API out, tick in the box, the auditor says yes, it's off my back, I don't need to worry about it. But actually, at the same time, what's going on is you're getting the clear banks, you're getting the stripes, you're getting Klarna's, um, Revolut, and, and others are now getting banking licenses. The sort of fintech, it's nice, but it's at the margins, it's at the fringes, I don't need to worry about it story, I think is starting to change. Yeah, I think, mm. you know, we obviously, uh, you know, for those who don't know, but um, you know, we provide a kind of an off-the-rack marketplace solution for, for banks. So APIs is, is at the heart of, of, of what we're doing. Um, and I think when we were going through the FCA sandbox, we were kind of, you know, talking to a lot of our partners. We've got 58 in, in the UK, you know, and kind of trying to convince them to move the API agenda like further up their, their tech priority list. And then, you know, we shifted to, you know, we were direct customer. We shifted to, to B2B after, you know, some successful bank conversations. You know, and then when you turn around to a, a fintech and you go, actually, well, now, you know, we, there's 123 million distribution kind of like on your doorstep. That API should be top of the top of the agenda. Now, the shift has been, you know, has been, you know, amazing and, 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 and quick as well. You know, I think the benefit of, of small fintech companies is they can just go, oh, hang on. Yeah, actually, let's just do that right now. Um, so, you know, those end to end integrations, you know, you know, Jason's, Jason's presentations around what an API is. It's about you know, these, these new kind of end-to-end experiences rather than forget the technical stuff. It's about a better experience. They are coming thick and fast. And, and, you know, and I think we, we heard that earlier on. You know, Ashok's presentation was pretty much that. You know, this isn't about yeah. just exposing data and exposing APIs and standing back, but this is fundamentally going to change how business models work, which is the, the critical thing, really. Um, right, we, we've got to sort of move on, unfortunately, so we better keep, uh, keep the pace through this. So, uh, Jamie from Bird, MJ from 11FS, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks. Just what I want to say it's really good to all the stories that we're talking about are pretty much growth stories, which is there's no like fees or fines like stories in here, I don't think which is really great considering we're at this conference and it just shows you know what an amazing um, what an amazing kind of potential this this industry has and suddenly it's a loving uh, thank you very much <laughs> <laughs>
Critical mass. That's what turns the smallest ventures into life-changing forces. Reach critical mass by joining Temenos Open Marketplace for fintechs. Opening up access to 2,000 of the world's largest financial institutions. Don't just take our word for it. Temenos Marketplace has just won Reader's Choice Best Emerging Innovative Technology Product and Service at the 2016 Banking Technology Awards. Join Temenos now. We make the money go round. Let's be honest, most digital banking experiences just aren't that amazing. Learn how more than 180 banks worldwide, including Barclays, Deutsche Bank, and BBVA, innovate faster with Strands as their trusted fintech partner. To find out more, visit strands.com today. So next up, we have two all-round all-stars. So from PwC, we have Ajit Tripathi. Ajit, join us over here. And from Starling Bank, we have Megan Kaywood. So Megan, come and join us. Thank you. Ajit, you've, you've, uh, you've already missed us trashing Bitcoin and having a go at smart contracts. Like we feel like we've, we've been through the, uh, the Bitcoin stuff already. Yeah, you're heretics, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, come to my block church and you'll start believing again. <laughs> Your block church. I like it. The block church like is it. the way forward. <laughs> but, Bow down and worship. Uh, yeah, before we take a pew, um, Megan, there's a story here that we have to cover because you guys have some pretty big news at Starling today. You have uh, announced that you are passporting into Europe and your first stop is Ireland. Yeah, definitely. So we Congratulations. launched um, our current accounts this year in the UK. We were really excited to do that. So there's so much excitement in the space of challenger banks. But we're actually, what's something that's something kind of missed over is that we're the first and only challenger bank to actually offer current accounts. So it's been great to launch that to the market. Um, and now what we see is that we've launched that with spending insights, overdrafts, card control, the developer platform. We're looking to also launch our marketplace, which really fits in kind of with what we were talking about. Um, and it's just a natural extension um, of that skill and that um, expertise that we built out to then extend that to Ireland. So Ambo and our founder actually um, was previously the COO at AIB. Um, and our chief risk officer, Peter, was also um, working in banking in Ireland as well. So for us to passport into Ireland, that means that then we can start pushing forward on our European expansion plans. Um, and so, yeah, next world domination. So first Ireland, you know. Just out of interest, what celebrity would Snarling Bank be? You know, I thought about that. I don't know. That's a hard one. What? Uh, oh, maybe um, lead singer of Coldplay. What's his name? Chris Martin? Chris uh, Martin. Yeah. Okay. yeah. I mean, that's a lot of stuff going on at Starling. You've got yeah. like the Starling like, uh, marketplace. You've got Ireland. You've got current account. Yeah. You've got the, uh, the payment services piece going on. Yeah. Like how big's your team? Yeah. So we're about 100 people now. And it's been really exciting because we took a different approach. So if you look at the market, a lot of people entered... Um, by innovating on the, the front end, the user experience, really? right? Yeah, so they didn't actually do the back end yet. They didn't actually offer current accounts. And that gave them the advantage of getting the market faster and having that first advantage. But they couldn't actually offer a current account anyone could switch to, right? They could just use it in tandem with a traditional bank. Um, so we spent not, a not tandem, not tandem. Oh, not, well, unfortunately, not actually tandem. Yeah. But, uh, but so Damn we Ricky took for a... Pick a catchy name. Damn him. <laughs> to Ricky. <laughs> to Ricky. <laughs> Um, but, so we spent a lot of time building up that core functionality, building the back end and the front end. So now we have the current account with overdraft, um, with spending insights, card control, all of that. So the next thing that we're able to do now is start building all the other differentiating feature set at a really high velocity. So next you have digital wallets like Apple Pay, uh, Android Pay coming out, savings goals, more kind of building on the insights, and then the marketplace launching, which... 
it's exactly what Chris was saying earlier, that we focus on being the world's best current account. Moving into Ireland is how we get to being world, you know, world class and available um, anywhere for customers. But really, still, no matter where we are, we just want to focus on the current account, personal banking. Yep. We can't also be the world's best mortgage and insurance, and we definitely can't be that everywhere. There are a thousand other fintechs who are coming up and are solving unique things extremely well. Mm-hmm. So for us to offer like the most value to customers, we have to say, we're going to focus on doing this and pushing out those features really fast, but also recognize that you still need savings and wealth management and mortgages, but other people have solved that really well. So what we're going to do is strategically integrate them in via APIs, make it easy for them to also build off of the Starling platform and our APIs. Um, so that we can deliver the most value for our customers um, quickly. And I think when people talk about um, you know, uh, what's open banking going to look like, I often point to it's already here. Like There are people already doing it, and how many people have actually used those services? How many people have talked to the person that runs platform at, at Starling or the people that at the APIs at Monzo or, or, or N26 who have APIs and are already integrated to TransferWise? It's already here. It's just not massive yet, and it will be. It was, uh, remind me why we need a... A current account when you have a Bitcoin address. Anyway, <laughs> we'll come back to that later. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, though, to your to that point, like so, there's lots of people like you even said earlier. Lots of people have APIs, but doesn't mean they're good ones. Yeah. So some of our competitors, and I'm not going to name names, have come out and said, "Oh, you actually can't build the public applications on it. We realize it has leaky abstractions. We're not actually fit for purpose." So a lot of people are trying to push this, but it's. It's interesting to be in a space where this is really such a pivotal moment to enable collaboration um, and innovation in the market, um, but still the, to be in that place of thought leaders actually making it happen yeah. um, is a bit of a smaller pool. Than leaky abstractions are the worst. <laughs> <laughs> abstractions are bad enough, but the leaky uh, ones yeah. Yeah, you know? It was also interesting in the, in the, in the Klarna story that I referenced. I mean, they're valued at $2.25 billion. And they said specifically that with the banking license, all they want to do is offer a decent current account. They're not going to look at any other areas because it would weaken what they're, do- they're doing. Just do one thing really well, which is a good current account. Yeah. But I think, I mean, with my time at uh, Starling and with and at Monzo, it was less about the current account than everyday banking. Actually, it's almost like saying a car is a horseless carriage. Yeah. What are you creating? The best current, like the world's best horse. But it's not going to be that. It's going to be something new. And I think for me, that's the exciting bit, yeah. that, that actually it's not about defining the future by looking at a previous commodity financial product. It's actually saying this is going to be about making people's lives easier. It is about everyday financial services. And those things then connect into a variety of other, of other places. Exactly. So when you get horse and carriage makers making a slightly faster horse and carriage, it goes slightly faster. It's got a slightly nicer, slicker interface. But it's not reimagined. And I think the, the real leap to reimagine things is, is definitely coming. Well, and what I think is interesting is there's this critique from some in the market who see that there have been a number of players who've entered who just do that. They just kind of put a shiny interface and they make it a bit prettier, mm. um, but they aren't really taking it to the next thing. It's not the M plus one from what Peter you, Thiel would say. You've listened before, Megan, so name them. Like, <laughs> we, we like naming and shaming of people no. publicly. Well, so there's an article. I, I don't know if I can publicly shame, but they're like, oh, only 3% of people um, switched current accounts last year. And so there's a failure of the challenger banks to really capture the market. They can't get to scale. And I'm like, no one had a full banking license yeah. last year. No one launched a current account. 
that no one could have switched. So that yeah. statistic doesn't actually mean it's just people moving between traditional banks. But right now we've seen people don't really move because yeah. there's not a lot of differentiation. But it's, it's predominantly bribery to move from one to the other, right? But yeah. it's like, because there are digitized accounts, yeah. there's, there are no digital accounts. Yeah. So Starling, when we enter, we actually launched a full current account earlier this year. People would be like, well, how, do, how are you different from Revolut? We're like, well, we actually offer a current account that gives you FSCS protection. That means you get an overdraft. Sure. It's an actual bank account plus all of the fancy things on top and new features and things like that and pushing into areas like the marketplace, but it's actually a current account. So awesome. I got to take us to the block church. Sorry, Megan. Yeah, uh, no. The Starling <laughs> church is lovely, but we got to get to the block church really right. quickly. Welcome Brace yourself, everybody. Yeah, there's, we're, we're taking a little trip down Crypto <laughs> Corner right now, so but, but uh, first, I do apologize. Before I do that, I want to involve the audience. Like, Hands up, how many of you own any cryptocurrency, even a tiny amount? Even a tiny amount. Okay, that's encouraging. It's wow. what, about half, maybe? Maybe How many owned uh, some last week? <laughs> uh, <laughs> How many sold some this week? <laughs> yeah. um, and speaking of selling some this week, I don't know if you noticed, but CNBC covered a story where there was a flash crash of the Ethereum cryptocurrency from $319 down to 10 cents. <laughs> That's a pretty big crash. Ajit, like, what on earth happened here? And what yeah. is Ethereum? I mean, this isn't the only market where a flash crash has happened, right? And to some extent, uh, this crash had nothing to do with Ethereum or the cryptocurrency apart from the fact that it's a relatively thinly traded market with not a lot of uh, liquidity at all times. Now, let's look at what has happened to the price over the last uh, couple of months. The price has gone from £12, oh, sorry, $12 to $320. And that's primarily because of all the activity in the token market, right? So a lot of people have been raising funds in Ethereum using uh, essentially crypto tokens, mm. which are smart contracts that allow people to raise money. <laughs> now, uh, with the flash crash, uh, Coinbase own an exchange called GDAX, right? And the, the way exchanges work is that when you place orders, they match orders for you, first of all, as in if you, if uh, what happened is that somebody placed a large sell order, market sell order, uh, and when you place a multi-million sell order on a thinly traded market like Ether, you suddenly end up matching a lot of orders on the other side, right? And that uh, immediately drops the price by, dropped the price by 30%. And it hit As a lot of stop losses. And it started hitting stop losses. And once the stop losses were hit, uh, the next thing to go down was margin liquidi liquidations. Let me explain what that is, right? So stop losses, uh, order says, sell as, as soon as this price is reached and at any price below that order below that number. So, so as soon as the price starts going down, sell, and then somebody else has one below that, as soon as the price goes selling. below that. Right. So it becomes like a snowball. Once and the and price it gets worse because uh, the exchange allows you to trade on margin, right? So I can borrow the money, borrow money from exchange and, and trade using that money as well. So I can go well beyond my ability to pay or well, well below the money I have with the exchange, which means that as soon as uh, the, the, the price hits below a certain number, the exchange gets nervous and starts selling on your behalf. So does this have anything to do with Ethereum itself? Because Ethereum often, I mean, there's the article of CNBC, our, our friend William Moyagar talks about Ethereum being a new generation of blockchain technology, different from Bitcoin, optimized for developers with about 35,000 developers um, and more than 500 startups developing on its platform, including big companies like uh, BP and Microsoft. PwC. Yep. And PwC. Definitely. Um, so this is a, a, a new software platform, and it's a new currency all in the same time. What does this flash crash mean? Is, is that the end of Ethereum? Or? I don't think it means anything at all. It has really nothing to do with Ethereum as a platform per se. Uh, I mean, it's, it's got everything to do with 
how the GDAX exchange operates, and we have seen a flash crash with equities in NASDAQ related to similar sort of selling activity, right? So these things happen in uh, like non-G10 currency markets quite often. And if you look at, follow some of the traders on Twitter, then you will learn pretty quickly that, uh, I mean, everybody believes that there was nothing wrong with the exchange apart from the fact that they didn't hit a circuit breaker. But I mean, this is a, uh, it's the Wild West, isn't it? It's up, down, people are making massive fortunes, losing them. Uh, but, the, but Coinbase actually stepped in to, to prevent some massive losses here for, for particular... They did, and, I, and they didn't really have to, right? If you think about, did Coinbase get anything wrong on the execution side? Probably not, apart from the fact that most modern exchanges have a circuit breaker. So if the price really starts dropping the way it dropped yeah, on GDAX, they then they just stop matching. Right, yep. stop trading. So uh, I, I think what they probably got a bit nervous about is a potential lawsuit, right? So a lot of people lost a lot of money, and they would definitely have sued if the exchange hadn't made them whole. We, we must be approaching some sort of bubble in this sense, though, because be, be honest, you know, I understood about forty percent of what you just said in terms of the the, the detail there. J just because of the technical capability oh, okay. of it, like I'm nowhere near where he is. I diff sort of. Go, uh, go with Simon on anything that he puts on this sense. But the fact that about four taxi drivers have said to me over the last like six weeks about this little tip that they've got about <laughs> some way to quadruple the money that I would like to invest in it. And the fact that my mum actually saw it on, I think it was BBC News. Yeah. You know, we, we must be approaching that. You know, so much media is coming into it. People are just throwing money into it, and, and nobody really understands what it is. You know, at least that guy has physical gold in his pocket. <laughs> well, well, that, well, that's the sign that you, that's the classic sign that you're in a bubble, right? When when people you've never or haven't heard of from in five years start getting in touch with you to ask you if they should buy cryptocurrency, sell <laughs> cryptocurrency. Like yeah. that's it's a pretty good sign you're in a bubble. David, you should absolutely uh, start selling when your mum-in-law starts asking about uh, Bitcoin. So I actually wrote, I think I've got some way to go on that one. I'll be honest. With you. <laughs> I was getting I was getting asked that often recently that I wrote a blog post in which I said yes, it's a bubble. No, I don't know when it's going to pop. It probably already has, and you should probably ask your financial advisor, not me. And, <laughs> and I think that's the reality. It, yeah. As Jason says, it's the wild west. And the really interesting question to me is when does the regulator come along and say people are losing money here, or are the people losing money just the internet geeks? So therefore, it's fine. It's an interesting. Well, I think the regulators are waiting for the right case, right? There was a tweet uh, by someone saying, I mean, you can't really pursue uh, or persecute, uh, prosecute a victimless crime, right? So the DAO happened, but then the investors were made whole. And in this case, again, the investors yeah. have been made whole. There's so been a lot need, of these uh, examples. Need probably the pension funds to come in and invest money before something really blows While up. I'm hearing some of the pension funds are. Oh, that's really bad. I recently got lambasted by the Bitcoin Liberati because I, I'm often lambasted by them. But in this particular <laughs> case, it's because I said, don't hold this, these coins. And what I meant is I, I day trade them. Mm -hmm. um, what, what do you think? Should we hold them or, or just tr trade them? That's a really interesting question. It depends. So if your view is I have money that I don't mind losing and I'm just going to throw some money there and I'm happy to leave it for 10 years, then actually I think that's a pretty good bet. Like cryptocurrencies, are they going to be more important in 10 years than less? Probably more important rather than less. Um, but if you're somebody who really is a bit of a geek and enjoys day trading, then by all means have a go. It's you're just calling it, me a geek. <laughs> <laughs>
just a bit of a geek. I, I, I've seen the amount of memorabilia from I'm good. Star Trek you have. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, but anyways, we have got to uh, got to move on. Uh, we are launching a show called Blockchain Insider that goes all in depth into Bitcoin stuff. So keep an eye on iTunes for all of that kind of stuff. Next story up is Jack Mars Ant Financial nearly doubles its profits. We need Ali's tea, baby. Trillion. We need Ali's jingle now. Yeah. 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 And Financial does a thing. Um, yeah, I mean, Ant uh, just going from strength to strength, doubling profits and um, you know, being valued at 74.5 billion now when they were 60 billion last year. They're going to have an IPO at some point soon. And it's Jack Mars going to be a really happy man because he's got a third of the company. Um, I mean, wow. They're still going through some major challenges. So for, so, for example, they're trying to buy MoneyGram in America. And then uh, Euronet stepped in and made a competitive bid, and it became a bit of a bitching war between the two companies. But what was interesting last week is that just as the regulators are looking at the MoneyGram deal, Jack Ma flies in and does some uh, discussions with the regulators in Chicago and schmoozes um, in a different sphere. The, uh, the, the way to try and ease the deal flow through, because creating jobs for Americans is a good deal, you know. I think Trump will be very happy, won't he? Trump was a really clever guy. I think, as you've said, Jason, you've been hearing more and more, um, you said on a previous show, that uh, executives aren't going to Silicon Valley for safaris anymore. They're going out to China to look at this sort of stuff. And one thing that keeps every headline, the numbers are astronomical, the innovation's astronomical. Uh, Ant Financial is a bank without a banking license that's worth $72 billion. If that's not worth a look, then nothing is. Their business model is phenomenal. Their credit scoring and their AI is phenomenal. This is a case study that everybody should be looking at. And I always remember a funny blog that I put, put out a year ago about Ant creating an API apps marketplace for plug and play services to other banks and that 40 other banks were using those services and a very senior banker from Singapore got hold of me and said, you're talking SHIT, Chris. Um, <laughs> which was because he didn't believe they could do it. And I said, but they've done it. <laughs> they've just done it. I'm afraid we are up against time. So that's all we have time for today. As much as Ant Financial have done it, and you guys should study them more and more. Um, I'd like to thank all of our guests for coming on today. Everyone who's joined us here in the room, thank you so much. Yeah, thank, thank you very much. And we, we really should thank the team as well, because this was a kind of a military operation in terms of doing. So thank you very much to, to Ollie for uh, putting everything together in terms of where we are, and Michael for kind of making all of this happen as well in terms of the, the video and the audio. So thanks very much for team. Uh, that was FinTech Insider Live. Thank you very much. And if anybody would like swag, there is like a billion t-shirts. <laughs> come, come get your stickers, come get your t-shirts, people. Yeah, feel free.